Please stand for the reading of God's word. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting large sums. Then a poor window came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for today. Thank you uh, for the opportunity to be here today. Please change our hearts and help us to um, go out in this world changed and claiming you and your love. Amen. Thanks, Garrett. <clears throat> Was there a split second in uh, that video where because of Brandon's dark pants and the height of the table and the grand, it looked like he was preaching from behind a piano. I'm not gonna lie, it made me a little bit jealous for just a second because there, is there anything more Nashville than preaching from on top of a grand piano? That, that would be awesome. I was disappointed when, when the uh, optical illusion went away. Um, okay, let's start this morning by acknowledging the elephant in the room. Some of you are here for the first time. Some of you are in a church building for the first time in a long time. And Garrett just read that passage, and your first thought was, Aha! I knew it! A church wants my money. Some of y'all thought that. A southern pastor teaching about money. It's the worst. Made even worse when it's a attractive, charismatic, charming southern pastor teaching about money. Nobody likes that. Uh, I need you guys to know something. God cares about your money. God cares about the way you approach money. God cares about what you do with your money. God cares about the place money has in your life. Of course he does. The vast and overwhelming majority of our adult waking hours are spent Making money, managing money, or spending money. Certainly, our creator would care the place that money has in our lives. And that's evidenced by the scriptures. 2,000 verses in this book speak directly to money. To give you a little context... Um, 500 verses in the scripture talk about faith. 500 verses in the scripture talk about prayer. If you do that math, there are twice as many verses in the Bible that talk about money than there are faith and prayer combined. God cares about money. 
Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, well, so much of that is Old Testament, and, and Jesus is all about love, and that's what I came here to hear about this morning. Tell me about Jesus and his love for me. Jesus loves you so much, he cares about what you do with your money and the place your money has in your life. 16 of his 38 parables that are recorded in the scriptures speak directly to money. One out of every 10 verses throughout the entire Gospels speak about money. You see, you see Jesus cares about how we handle money, how we view money, how we approach money, because how we handle money and how we view money and how we approach money is fundamental in how our faith grows. Bottom line is, if we believe what God tells us about finances, we are willing to believe what God tells us and promises about every other aspect of our lives. Having said all of that, I've got good news and bad news for you this morning. The good news is, this passage that Garrett read for us isn't all about money. It's not even mostly about money. The bad news is, it's much, much worse than that. For us to fully understand what's going on in these verses... We really need to get some context. Here we are, Mark chapter 12. We have finally reached Holy Week, Passion Week. Uh, Jesus has done his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. Crowds line the streets, Palm Sunday with their palm branches. They're, they're singing praises, Hosanna, Hosanna. That was on Sunday. We're right in the middle of Holy Week at this point. It's Passover week in Jerusalem, which is one of the holiest of holy days in the Jewish culture. Hundreds of thousands of Jewish pilgrims would have descended upon Jerusalem. Jerusalem has swelled to ten times its size for this week. Jesus has spent his days teaching in the temple and his evenings retreating to a suburb about two miles outside of the city called Bethany to rest with friends and family. So here we are, midweek, 48 to 72 hours before Jesus would be hanging on a cross. He knew that his life was no longer measured in years months, or even weeks, but in hours. That's where we find him in Mark chapter 12. Now, when we talk about the temple, it's also really important to get an idea of what it means that Jesus was teaching in the temple. I brought a picture of what the temple would look like in Jesus' time. Okay, so here we have the temple. Now, that massive building in the center, that's the temple proper. That's the temple. Now, that building in the middle, the temple proper, is not used for the instruction of the people. It is used exclusively for ministry to the Lord. Sacrifices, the burning of incense. It doesn't have pews. It doesn't have a stage. It doesn't have a priest teaching people. It's not a synagogue. It is the temple used purely for ministry to the Lord. Twice a day... 
priests would go in to the outer part of that building and, and do the daily rituals, the daily sacrifices, burn incense, the smoke goes up re- uh, representing the prayers of the people. The deepest part of that temple, the Holy of Holies, only once a year would the high priest go in. So when we talk about Jesus teaching in the temple, we're not talking about that building in the center. We're talking about the temple complex, largely that courtyard that you see. Now, to give you a bit of scale, that courtyard is about as big as 15 football fields. This is a massive complex. And during Passover week, Tens of thousands of people would be in that courtyard. This is where Jesus showed up every morning. When we talk about Jesus teaching in the temple, he is in various areas of that courtyard teaching to the crowds that would have gathered to make their Passover sacrifices, to pay their temple tax, just to be a part of the Passover week. So in this passage, we see Jesus teaching. First first to the crowds. Throughout Mark chapter 12, we see Jesus going around, and the more he teaches, the longer the day goes, the bigger the crowds get, the more nervous the Pharisees and the scribes get, the more urgency they feel in their plot to have him arrested, to have him taken care of, to have him removed from the scene. They interrupt Jesus on four separate occasions on this day alone as he's teaching to the crowds. Finally, Jesus ends his teaching in pointing out the hypocrisy of the religious elite of the day and warning the people against them. Look back with me just before the passage Garrett read for us this morning. Mark chapter 12, I'm going to read starting in verse 38. Jesus also said in his teaching, beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who want greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive harsher judgment. Jesus ends by teaching against the hypocrisy of the religious elite by warning people against those that would practice religion from a place of a desire for power, from a place of glorifying themselves. And with those words, Jesus' public ministry is over. This is the last time Jesus would teach publicly, and he knew it. What we see as soon as this is over is Jesus begins to leave the crowds. He would have walked from that larger courtyard that you saw into an interior courtyard right outside the main temple. And he sat and he began to people watch. His public ministry, his public teaching was done. And Jesus was just observing the scene. And I I know exactly 
what he's thinking. Nick and I, everywhere we've traveled, whenever we go on vacation, one of our favorite pastimes is just sitting at an outdoor sidewalk cafe, getting a cup of coffee, watching the world go by, just seeing all the people, seeing life happen, seeing culture unfold right in front of you. I, I love it, but can you imagine how much more entertaining or perhaps how much more gut-wrenching people watching would be if everyone you saw had a thought bubble over their head? It sounds funny, but the more I think about it, the more I realize I don't want to know what they're all thinking. I don't want another window into the darkness of man. You see, that's, that's the way Jesus would have been people watching. As he, as he sits in that interior courtyard, in that place where there would have been 13 treasury boxes, each one designated for various free will offerings. This box goes to wood for the sacrifices. This box goes to incense. This box goes to anointing oil. As he watched all of those people giving these free will offerings, he could see into their minds. He could see into their spirits. He could see into their hearts. And just because his public ministry was over, he was not going to miss an opportunity for a teaching moment. He was so moved by the scene unfolding in front of him that he calls the disciples so that he could show them, so that he could teach them. Look back with me at this passage that we read this morning. Starting in verse 41. So here we have Jesus sitting, people watching in this interior courtyard. Across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had. All she had to live on. Do you guys remember several years ago? There was a series of like diet books called Eat This, Not That. Does anybody remember those? The whole idea with these books was, okay, it's really, really difficult to follow a strict diet with tons of rules, and you can only have this many calories and this many grams of fat. So maybe the best thing to do is to equip people, teach people, train people, to be able to recognize things that are good for them and things that are bad for them, even when it's not apparent on the surface. Eat this, not that, and you're going to be healthy. This is what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's training his disciples. He's training their eyes. This is sniper school. He's, he's training them to recognize the things that are good for them, even when it may not be apparent. You see these wealthy folks over here giving large sums of money? Don't follow them. Learn from this poor widow. Do this, not that. 
He was so moved that 48 hours before the cross, he had to call the disciples over so that they could learn from this scene. Now, what is it that this poor widow did that moved Jesus to the point that he had to make sure his closest followers recognized her? It wasn't how much she gave. We know from the scriptures, these, these two coins, they were the two smallest coins that were in circulation at the time. You know, two pennies to rub together. We know that, that the folks on the other side of the courtyard were giving far more than her. So it wasn't an amount that she gave. It wasn't what she gave to. She was giving this free will offering, just like everybody else was, that would have gone to the wood or the oil, would have gone to the incense. You see, the temple was already a place of opulence that would soon be destroyed. It, it wasn't that she, was, that she was giving some um, great thing that would do a great amount of good. She wasn't giving out of this desire of, oh, think of all the good that can be done in the world by my sacrifice. This poor widow gave out of a place of faith and a desperate desire to use what she had, everything she had, to glorify God. That's what separated her from the folks on the other side. Look back with me. As, as Jesus talks to his disciples, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Why? For, she gave, for they gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty. They gave out of their surplus, she out of her poverty. She recognized her place. She recognized her situation. She recognized her desperation. She recognized the ramifications of what she was giving. And she didn't care because she was honoring God with her heart. She was honoring God with her faith. She was giving out of a place of faith. That's what this is, and that's the comparison Jesus is making. Faith versus self-reliance. You see, this widow was trusting believing that God was who he said he was. This widow, by having nothing, more so than anyone else, any of those tens of thousands of people in that temple complex, she understood that God was all that she needed. There is nothing here that says this widow was sacrificing everything so that she might be materially blessed. That is not what Jesus is teaching. 
We know nothing of this widow before these verses. We hear nothing of this widow after these verses. There isn't a Mark chapter 12, verse 45 that says as soon as she made that sacrifice from that moment, this widow's life was rainbows and unicorns and cotton candy. That's not the lesson here. The widow wasn't giving in order to receive. She was giving in order to worship. This widow, because she had nothing else, knew, felt, understood the words that we sang this morning. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Lord, how I need you. She knew that the Lord was all that she needed. Do you understand how difficult it is to learn that lesson during a season of abundance? How difficult it is to recognize those words, Lord, I need you, how I need you. During a time of financial blessing. You see, a couple of chapters ago, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Do you remember that? It's not because money is evil. It's because it is so easy to be blinded to our need for a savior when we feel like all of our other needs are met. When we feel like I can take care of all my problems, I can fix it. When we feel like I can, um, I, I can buy myself joy, I can buy myself happiness, I can buy myself comfort and security. I can give my kids a better life than I have. Therefore, everything is going to be okay. That's what Jesus is talking about when he points out the wealth and he says they were giving out of their surplus. They were giving out of their abundance. Now, something I want to point out here. Oftentimes when you hear this passage, these rich people that were giving these large sums, they're set up as, as some sort of example of giving in order to receive glory for your gifts. Right? Don't we hear that a lot? You know, it, it, it's, it's pictured as, as kind of like the, the Weasley twins when they were putting their name in the Goblet of Fire. Is anybody with me on that one? And like the entire Hogwarts was around them and everybody cheered and look at me. Look back at this passage in Mark chapter 12. Show me where it says that. Guys, we need not read anything into this story that's not there. Jesus does not disparage the gifts of the wealthy in this story. That's not what this is. Remember, these were all free will gifts. They didn't have to come. They didn't have to give. There's nothing in this story that says they were all saying, look at me. Bling, 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 bling. It doesn't say that. 
These guys were giving. They were giving large sums. Those sums were going to the maintenance of the temple. Their gifts were not bad. The issue is they were giving out of their surplus. They were giving out of their abundance. It was this thing of, okay, I've taken care of everything I need. Once that happens, let's see what's left and give from there. As opposed to the widow who was giving everything. Now, here's where this story gets really scary. This story is not about giving away all of our financial resources. This doesn't set a standard of financial generosity for all of those that follow Jesus. The story of the rich young ruler didn't say that. This story doesn't say that. Nowhere in the scriptures are we taught that we have to give away all of our financial resources. What this story is about is giving away all of ourselves, period. It is so much more than our bank accounts. You see, we look at this story, and, and if we're, we're sitting at home in our living room uh, alone and nobody's around and and we see the wealthy people versus the widows. Many of us like to identify with the widow. I mean, I'm a lot of things, but wealthy isn't one of them. Many of us have those months that we're trying to figure out exactly how the math is going to work financially. We know what she's going through. I'm with you. God, I'm doing everything I can. The reality is the vast and overwhelming majority of followers of Christ are giving out of our surplus financially, in service, in the sharing of our testimonies. We give from this place that we consider to be spiritual wealth. We give from this place thinking that we have earned something that someone else hasn't. We are better than someone else is. We are someone others should aspire to be. We give of ourselves just like the wealthy in this story. We give of ourselves out of our surplus, out of our abundance, out of what is left over. 48 hours before the cross, after his public ministry is finished, Jesus calls his disciples because he is so moved by this scene. And he puts up a no-name, no-account widow who probably couldn't read a word of Scripture against the big shots with the big pocketbooks 
and the big donations who probably knew the entire law by heart, and she's the one that gets it right. Be this, not that. So what do we take from this? Where do we go from here? I told you at the beginning that this passage isn't all about money, but it should inform the way we approach money in our lives and the place that money has in our lives. It should remind us that all of it is God's. Remind us to hold it with open hands. I also told you that this passage is much worse than a sermon on financial generosity. In this scene with his disciples, Jesus is teaching on whole life generosity, and Jesus is teaching on absolute faith. He wants the disciples to understand, to grasp, to realize that they are serving out of a place of spiritual poverty, out of a place that, that there's nothing they can do to save themselves. So their only option is to completely pour themselves out in order to glorify their creator. And the incredible freedom and joy that comes in knowing that that creator loved them so much that he would send his only son to pay the penalty. Where do we go from here? We ask, we beg, we beg our Heavenly Father to give us the heart, the spirit, the absolute faith of this widow to learn from her example so that we might give, serve, share, out of recognition that we serve a king that has the cattle on a thousand hills. Would you guys pray with me? <sighs> Lord, we need you. How we need you. Remind us this morning of what an honor and a blessing it is to get to serve and pour ourselves out completely for your glory. It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen.